What's up everybody, Milanist here and welcome to the Calligraphers podcast. This is a show where I talk with some of the most inspiring and influential artists in the world of calligraphy, lettering and sign painting with the goal of exploring their mindset and understand how they became successful. Today I'm very excited to be speaking with someone who I've been following for quite some time and whose work I really admire. David Grimes is one of those calligraphers who is super skillful, dedicated to the craft and learns in the best possible ways. He does many things and I was really excited to explore how he started and what were the steps he was taking on his journey and to hear about some of the stuff that's upcoming for him in the near future. This is definitely a great conversation and I don't want to waste any more time so let's jump into it. So hi mate, how are you doing today? I'm super good. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. I, uh, I When you asked me if I wanted to do it, I went and watched the one you do with Paul, and it seems pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> the the thing with the one of Paul, it's, it, it was kind of cool, but like ha- half of the the like the talk, especially on the video, was like our connection. I don't I don't know. Maybe his connection was not that good. Maybe yeah. But maybe. Uh, the audio was good, and I like lots of pe- people actually like that that episode. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty long. It's like two hours. No, hour it's actually one like. and forty, and like the episode I uploaded yesterday with uh, Edgar, it's actually like two hours. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Wow. But Killing I, it. I don't know how how long it will go. Usually, I, I've planned those episodes to be like between one one and a half hour, but sometimes you know if the talk goes well and like if yeah, there is sure, sure. there is info to be shared, why not? Sure, absolutely. So, mate, like uh, I've been following you on Instagram since your very beginning. In the beginning, I remember there were only pictures, and for some time you were <laughs> an inactive. But then yeah. um, you started with those videos, and everything went crazy. So, can you tell me a little bit more about you? Like, uh, what's your name? Where? Oh no, no, what's your name? Sorry, like I, I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> just. Uh, where are you from? Like, how old are you? What's your life been like? And uh, when and how did you get interested with calligraphy and s- stuff like this? Sure, sure. Um, well, I am from the United States. I live in the upper left corner of the United States in Portland, Oregon, which is well known for its donuts and its uh, hipsters. And people up here are pretty cool, but I didn't grow up here. I actually grew up really close to Mexico in Arizona. Um, And so when I was getting out of high school, I studied graphic design down there, and then I moved up to Portland um, thinking that I would continue to study design. But after a while, I got kind of burnt out on that. I was building iPad apps and uh, doing user interface design. for, for cool companies, like I worked for um, a company that had a, had a contract with Audi and Lamborghini and like exotic cars and, and Bentley and Porsche and all that. Um, and it was fun for a time, but then I, I kind of like fell into like wanting to do lettering in the evenings and like on the weekends and stuff. And um, I actually got started on a website called Dribble. Yeah. Dot uh, com. Yeah, yeah. I remember Which that. was so... F- it was so funny because Dribble. I don't know if anyone listening to this has ever used Dribble, but it used to be really hard to get an invite. I, I remember um, this, like yes, yes. Yeah, and I was a nobody, and I was just like, D- 
doing my lettering, you know, at home in my apartment and um, like begging, <laughs> like people would ha get, they'd get two invites and, and they're called drafts and they'd be like, Hey, I have some invites, like send me your portfolio and I'll check it out. And if you're good, I'll invite you. I sent out my stuff to like so many people and I couldn't get an invite. And then I remember the day that I got invited, um, I was just so stoked. I was like, I felt like I had made it, you know, <laughs> like that I could post my stuff on this on this site. And so I started doing that. And I was just doing like lettering, just like kind of drawing stuff out. You remember which um, year was that? That was in 2013. So this is year six for me. Um, but I actually, one of the first things I saw, um, there was a John Stevens uh, brush video on Vimeo where he's doing his fracture with a, with a brush. Um, and I remember watching it and being like, holy cow, like the texture of the strokes is really interesting. I thought like, oh, that's gotta be a special brush. Turns out it's a Winsor Newton 995, which is like what he tells everyone to use in all of his workshops. So it was like not hard to figure out what brush he was using. But I remember watching that and going like, okay, I wanna do that. And so of course, instead of like practicing that, I started lettering, which is like not gonna get you there <laughs> at all. Um, but I guess it's like kind of led me in the right direction. Um, so I did that. Yeah, I did that. And then now it's been um, a number of years. I've, I've specialized a lot. Like I used to be kind of just like interested in everything calligraphy, everything lettering. But now I'm really focused on like American penmanship styles from like the early 20th century. And that's where I am. But uh, here... Did you have like a love for the letters in all your life or was there some point that uh, you like something switched and uh, how did you decide to like go after letters? That's yeah, I, I listen like when I listen to Paul and the interview with you with him and he says like I've been lettering since I was like a kid and I listen to um, I'm trying to think of like who other who other Paul is the one that comes into my mind like that story is um, crazy to me like when I was a kid I did not care at all <laughs> I was like I was way too busy with other things I mean I was uh, I was an athlete I was like wrestling um, I wanted to be a musician I played like all these different instruments played guitar and violin and saxophone and bass and I was in choir for a number of years well, that's pretty um, cool I mean it's yeah it's cool it works out but like you know I couldn't be bothered and I remember I had a teacher in high school that really liked calligraphy and then every year um, he would, he was our math teacher. So he would like give us a week of really, really hard on the board math. It was calculus, so calculus um, problems, you know, things to plot and whatnot. And then he would be like, all right, this week we're just going to do calligraphy. And everyone was like, why? Why are we, you know, I like, thank you for not making us do homework. But at the same time, like, what is the benefit of calligraphy? And I remember back then thinking like, oh, this is so much better than calculus. But at the same time, I was just like, I just liked it because it wasn't calculus. <laughs> I didn't like it because it was calligraphy. But he taught us italic. Um, and then I I tried to hunt him down. Actually, he's retired now. I was going to tell him like, hey, look, I'm a calligrapher now. That's a, you inspired me or whatnot. But I think it was years after that that um, I kind of like started with the, in the in the evenings and the weekends. Um, I was a really big fan of Sean West uh, in the early days. And I listened to his podcast a lot. And Sean West talks about, this thing called the overlap technique and moonlighting your passion is uh, one of his phrases. And that was like, you know, you have to have your day job. You have to work really hard at whatever you're doing. At the time I was a graphic designer and a gymnastics coach okay. I was coaching gymnastics. 
And then um, in the evenings and the nights, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to like sit down and work on calligraphy and get better. And then over time, it just like turned into a thing where, oh, I got some jobs for calligraphy. And then I started getting a lot of jobs for calligraphy. And then at one point, I had more work for calligraphy than I did for the for the actual design stuff. And I don't know, I just like, you could think like, oh, that's brave. You took a leap and like went and became a calligrapher. But for me, it was just like, well, I have more calligraphy work. So I guess I'm a calligrapher now. <laughs> and then it just kind of snowballs from there. Yeah. Do you enjoy more like uh, doing calligraphy and make your money or it's it was better when you were like a graphic designer and where you're making your money this way? Oh, that's a good question. You make a lot more money as a UI designer, <laughs> like a lot more. Um yeah the paychecks were nice that's for sure especially working with those big companies you know you you're not you know scrumming by to get your at minimum hourly rate or whatever so that was nice um i didn't like it's not that i'm not a team player but i really like that calligraphy though at least the way i've set my business up is very like solitary i make decisions i talk to the client we go back and forth i don't have like a boss to you know, yeah. to ask for permission for stuff. So that that's really nice. Um, I will say that my graphic design background, like especially my creative suite skills, like um, because of my, the program that I studied was really uh, heavily emphasized that we learn all the software. So like I know Photoshop, I know Premiere Pro, I know After Effects, Illustrator, Audition, InDesign, like I know all those programs back and forth. I've been using them since I was in high school. And I've just followed along every iteration. And so that has helped a lot because I can take my calligraphy and I can do things with it. I can animate it. I can turn it into a vector. I can, you know, uh, pull it in and, and do things in After Effects with it that I think maybe make, like, open some other doors that if I was just like a traditional calligrapher, that maybe I would be a little bit more limited in what I can do. But I, I, I really enjoy crossing calligraphy with the design that's kind of that's kind of my sweet spot yeah that's pretty cool uh do you remember like what were your sources of learning uh, in the beginning or have you attended some workshops or stuff like this or it was like uh, for you in school as because earlier you mentioned you were doing calligraphy at school yeah um in school uh in high school mr jensen i'll just say his name mr jensen taught us um italic If I recall correctly, I believe it was italic. It was either italic or some like black letter variant. Um, when I started with calligraphy, like I said, John Stevens was a big inspiration of mine. I went on Reddit uh, pretty early and found our calligraphy, which I know you and I have chatted on Reddit a little bit, so yeah. I don't need to explain it to you. But for anyone not listening, Reddit is a website um, where like a lot of people can go and it's a message board where you can leave comments and stuff. And uh, on there, I met some people, uh, Kevin... Um, uh, who's now at Bonmo Calligraphy. He was a really big inspiration of mine. And when I first got started, I was like full steam ahead. I remember I wrote this blog article on my website, which is long gone now, um, about how if you don't have a tool, you can tape two pencils together and that can allow you to write, you know, like a broad edge script yes. that makes the outline. And I wrote, um, I wrote an article about that. And I remember I posted it on Reddit and Kevin had something to say about it along the lines of like, This is almost there, but you're not taking your sources seriously. Like he's like, you know, what you're saying about the tool is, is good and important and you're sharing, but you're not taking the study of the actual script seriously. And um, 
I'm sure I'm misremembering that, so I don't mean to drag Kevin through it, but that really sat with me and that kind of stood out as like, a, okay, so there's, you know, there's more than just doing the lettering. There's understanding where the different manuscripts come from, about understanding the nature of like the subtleties that distinguish between someone that can do a script and someone that like fully knows a script and knows the beauties of like, oh, well, you're using, you know, uh, uh, um, you're using a 13th century version of this hand versus something else. Like that kind of stuff is fascinating to me. Um, and so that was kind of one of the first things that like really got me into like wanting to study history. Um, and so Kevin, of course, Kevin and the people on Reddit were very friendly and they were like, here are some manuscripts you can go check out. So, you know, I was, I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce them all, but like the Harley Gospels and uh, De Trinitate and, um, you know, the Book of Kells and things like that uh, for Unchul and like going through and flipping. I mean, a lot of these manuscripts are like available on in the institutional websites um, yeah. through their viewers and stuff. And so like going through and looking at the old manuscripts from centuries and centuries ago and then trying to figure out like what's done intentionally, what's like deterioration of the page, you know, did they mean to make that letter that way or is that because it's a 900 year old letter, or that kind of stuff. And so then um, after that, I kind of got interested in the American stuff, right? And so uh, I had a friend named Joy Hunt, and she sent me some samples for um, like the American periodicals, the journals, the business educator, the Zanerian manual, that kind of stuff. And I got really into that because I, I love pointed pen. At that point, I'd only been doing broad edge, but then um, Joy sent me my first oblique holder, and I was like, yeah, this is where it's at. This stuff is sweet. <laughs> so, so. No, that's that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. Like very interesting to me. Like it's I, I'm I don't know it's really interesting to me to hear such story because like apparently I know I know quite uh, a lot of calligraphers and artists, and I know like they there are different ways of into coming in calligraphy and uh, what's sure. important for them and. Listening to your stories for me is like uh, very fascinating. Like, I really like how you went through it and the way you look at it, because <laughs> it well, it actually shows a lot in your work. You know, like your work is yeah. uh, it's very precise. It's uh, it's very beautiful and it's like you follow all the rules and you do it in a good way. Thank you. <laughs> That's nice. It's just the truth, man. <laughs> Nothing to think. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, have, have you attended ever any workshops or not? Or uh, if for the future, are you willing to attend some? Or maybe you give workshops already to people? I don't know. Let's yeah. talk a bit about um, workshops. Yeah, sure. So, I um, probably the biggest thing as far as like workshops that I've done, um, I did an American tour a couple of years ago, I think in 2015 or 2016, where um, I did a couple different. Uh oh. Yeah, a couple of years ago, um, I did a cycle of workshops in the United States, and that was interesting. You know, we did Chicago, New York, L.A., um, Portland, and those are cool. Like, we were teaching um, in Grocer Script, myself and Joy, who I mentioned earlier, were teaching in Grocer Script. And to be honest, like back then, I think I had like not the best understanding of what engrosser script could be or was or what I wanted to do with it. But it was teaching the workshops was very fundamentally, uh, it was like a building block for me. It really got me 
like because I was teaching, I took the study a lot more seriously. And then over time, you know, the workshops got better and better. So the first workshops were kind of like uh, flying by the seat of our pants, you know, just trying to like figure out how to present the information. And then now, last year uh, in 2018, I went to Hong Kong, uh, Jakarta, and uh, uh, the Philippines uh, in Manila. And I taught workshops over the course of uh, a month, I guess. And that was really cool because that was like the first time I'd really come full circle into um, my curriculum, I guess, if you will, which I call Dreaming in Script, which is like my program for uh, Engrosser Script that I think kind of it makes some improvements on the way that Engrosser Script was taught historically. It kind of takes from a number of different places and like pulls all the best together. As far as uh, uh, as far as like classes that I've taken, absolutely, yeah. Um, I probably one of the the best classes that I've taken that I don't really talk about very much is I took a I think it was a 16 week class on Unshul Hand at a local community college here in Portland what? with um yeah with this woman um named Carol Dubosch who actually was my neighbor at the time but she's a really well known um American calligrapher at least I'm I'm sure she's known around the world I shouldn't say American I shouldn't limit her she's amazing she's very talented um and and in these parts she's like a household name you know like I was on the board directors for the Portland Guild um, for the last two years I actually just finished and she was on uh, the board as well so we got to work together a little bit but I took that class with her and um that was my first like regular you know every week showing up and you have everyone has their boards and you know, you're doing these projects. And we made a little book at the end, like where everyone puts together a book. And I remember in that class thinking like, oh, this is the way that calligraphy should should be taught. Like calligraphy, I think like weekend workshops and stuff like that, those are great. If you want to get like a taster of something, you're like, oh, I want to learn about, you know, batard or whatever. Yeah. But you really got to be a little bit more consistent if you want to like sit down and understand the intricacies of stuff something and having a teacher like carol was uh, really influential and i remember rap you know like the last day of class like leaving and i was thinking like man that was so worth it that was so worth like all the homework and the driving back and forth to get you know to the classroom and stuff um so that that's one that really stands out to me because i because i really enjoyed it and i've used Unshul quite a bit since then i also have gone to impef a couple times um so i've taken classes with the people who teach at impath like jake weidman i took his flourishing class which was really interesting the first year um the first year i met jake weidman he was teaching i don't remember the name of his class it's probably just offhand flourishing or something it was basically like a bird class like you come in and i think it was a half day and you sit down and he's going to teach you how to like you know in in the offhand position throw a bird and I think I took the class and I talked to him like in the break between class and he said something like he knew, you know, he knew one of the pieces that I had done or something like that and posted on Instagram, posted a picture of. And I was like, sweet. <laughs> All right. Like Jake Weidman saw my thing. That's cool. And then, of course, like being the typical person that I am later that night, everyone was hanging out in the lobby and I like was acting like him and I were like best friends <laughs> and I went up to him and challenged him to an arm wrestling contest and uh, we're arm wrestling and, and everyone is like he's a master penman if you hurt his arm if he like you know hurts his arm it's gonna be all your fault and we and uh, I beat him once and then he beat me once and we were just like is this this funny thing <laughs> um, but that that was a really interesting convention I, I learned a lot there um, 
I think, and if you if you look at other like iEmpath experiences that I had that were really influential, my first Engrosser script class was with uh, Barbara and Michael Soul. Barbara Calazari, I want to say. Yeah. And uh, and Michael Soul, um, which was interesting because I think that was Barbara's first time teaching at I. It was certainly her first time teaching at iEmpath. Uh, it might have been her first time teaching Engrosser script in that format, um, but it was kind of cool because it was like co-taught between the two of them, and I'll never forget. At that, I had a I had a salmon holder. Do you know Salmon from uh, Toronto? He's um he makes pens. He makes pens. Maybe. And I I don't. Yeah, I don't have it anymore. But it was a cool one. It was like carved out of a stick, and it was all crazy. And you know, it bends. And it looks like a tree. And Michael Soul came over like in the middle of class, and I was like, Mr. Soul, can you could you take a look at what I've done? And he came over and he picks up my holder and he goes, "You kids and your crazy holders." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, oh no." <laughs> so now I use a regular, you know, plate straight holder, uh, plain <laughs> oblique holder. But that, yeah, those kind of experiences are really interesting. Like, you know, you meet a teacher and the teacher has something to say, and maybe it's not the thing that they were trying to tell you, but like the thing you remember about the class is like. Like I remember very little of Jake's um, of Jake's bird class because I was just so terrible. I think I sat in the back just like kind of making fun of myself the whole time. But I remember like talking to him in between class, and I remember arm wrestling him. And I don't remember so much of the engrossed group class. I remember like Mike Soul didn't like my holder, and that I was embarrassed by that. So I think those kind of experiences are fun. But that's kind of what you get when you have like a one day workshop, right? You don't get to get comfortable with the teacher. Whereas with Carol, you know, I saw her for 16 weeks. So it's like I come in, she's like, how's your, you know, how was your Thanksgiving or whatever? And it's like, oh, it's great. I really like that. And so now then a couple of years ago, I did a thing before I did my dreaming and script stuff um, in its most recent iteration. I did a thing where I had a studio in a t- small town really close to Portland because I couldn't afford rent in Portland. <laughs> so I had to I had to get the studio out there and I did like six students for 12 weeks. So six different students and they're all individual private lessons and they come once a week and then they're all booked on Saturdays and Fridays, Fridays and Saturdays back to back. So I'd be like in my studio for like six, uh, well, they would go over like so, so like eight hours and it's like, okay, my two o'clock is here. I'll see you next week. And then the next person would come in. And that was really cool because you really get to see people move through all the different processes of like, I mean, even just the emotional processes of like, oh, I'm excited to learn this. Oh, this is hard. Oh, like I think I got it. Oh, no, I don't got it. Oh, I finally did it. This is amazing. Oh, now I can see how bad I am. Oh, I'm finally getting better. Oh, now I'm proud of something I've done. Like all those little steps. Um, that's what's so fascinating and fulfilling about teaching because like you're helping people move through like this way that they feel about themselves and they feel about their calligraphy. At what age cool. uh, you were when you start teaching and uh, like what do you think is it's a good moment for one person that uh, he should feel like okay I'm ready now I can uh, give my knowledge to other people like you know because there's lots of people they 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 don't get either the right uh, information or skills or they're just in a hurry and they don't have the good skills and qualities but they still start teaching other people you know oh maybe they yeah. do it for money or something but like yeah because uh, from listening from you you do everything in like in the fucking wrong in the fucking correct way you know <laughs> like I'm, i'm like just oh, stunned here like listening to your stories like 
being poor to this and this workshop and like teaching with it's, it's like super amazing but like if somebody like just is now beginning or it's already a few years in and is thinking okay maybe i want to teach like what's for yeah. you the good age or skills or whatever it is i don't know just how do you see it yeah um so this is a question about like when are you qualified to be a teacher yeah kind of kind yeah. of kind of yeah um I think a couple of years ago, I would have answered this question very differently. I would have been like, only when you can do, you know, I would have had some kind of metric for it. Um, I think now I've kind of come full circle. Let's go back to Sean West. Sean has a thing that he used to say in his podcast where he say, um, when you know one thing that someone else doesn't, you're qualified to teach them that. So if you don't know how to like throw something up in the air and catch it, and I do, then I'm like, I can, I can be your teacher, right? Um, I think we have this, we have this maybe community disposition to say like, well, you can only teach when you've achieved X or you can only teach when so-and-so says you're good enough or when you know all of these things that surround. So like what's important, you know, as far as the script goes, can I teach, um, can I teach round hand like I do if I don't fundamentally understand italic? I mean, that's where it came from, right? So if I don't, if I don't have an intricate expert level knowledge of italic, am I really qualified to talk about round hand? I mean, I think I am, but there are some people that would say like, no, you have to understand all the way down back to, you know, Sumerian, <laughs> uh, you know, cuneiform or whatever. I think that there is a, an interesting phenomenon that is happening where people are coming into the industry and they're being empowered by the fact that like online businesses are very easy to start, right? If you have an audience on Instagram or you have um, a gut popping website that people like to visit or whatever it is, then you have an audience and then people um, kind of trust you. And so I think that there's a, there's a little bit of a danger there. Like if you are just, if you're really popular, but not knowledgeable, then maybe check the box say okay i'm very popular now i'm gonna get knowledgeable and then become knowledgeable and then teach um, if you're very popular and you are not knowledgeable in everything but you're knowledgeable in some things then i would say that my advice there would be to teach within your limits of your knowledge so it'd be like don't teach a you know master level class or an expert level class teach like a beginner class or teach like a um, introduction or an exploration or something and i think there's a lot of stuff you can do with like disclaimers and stuff but i think the biggest thing is like be honest about what you know and be very honest about what you don't know that's one of the things that i've probably learned in the last couple of years is like i really respect people when they're like i don't know anything about that like i know this 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 and that is the end of what i know because if you have a teacher like that and they're confident enough to say like oh well you know, I would do it this way. I'm sure that there are other ways that this can be done. Maybe you can even think of some of them. Um, but this is my advice based off of my experience. And that that would be uh, far more beneficial to a student than a teacher saying, like, this is the only way to do it because this is the way it's always been done. And then just completely disregarding, you know, advances in tools or the fact that the market has fundamentally changed. I mean, you can't teach, for example, just rolling back to Unshul, you can't teach Unshul in a commercial standpoint, at least um, now, like you would have taught it back in the sixth century because you would, 
back then you'd be fundamentally using it to, to make manuscripts, to make books, right? Whereas now maybe you're using it for signage or for graphic design or for, um, you know, frontispieces or whatever. Like there are all of these things that we have to consider that are different. So rules, you know, like knowing the rules or knowing how, when something is right, that only goes so far. You have to understand the context of like, not to use the overused phrase, rules are meant to be broken or learn the rules and then break them. But I would say learn the rules and then understand that the rules weren't really written for our time. You know, they weren't really written for like our day and age. And so there are a lot of things you can say like, oh, well, let's do it a little differently. Um, so that's a roundabout way of saying, I guess, that I think I started teaching when I was 23, maybe 23 or 24. So a couple of years ago, several, a few years ago. And um, I definitely started a little bit early, earlier than I should have probably. Um, I wanted, one, you got to make money. If you want to be a calligrapher, you got to find a way to make money. So like anyone who's going to fault someone for like having to pay their rent, like that person is trying to pay their rent so that they can continue being a calligrapher. I'm not going to dog anyone for that. That's like, you know, um, if you're a purist and you don't have to make money or you have, you know, uh, you won the lottery or anything like that, that's great. But like, I can appreciate that sometimes there's no food in the fridge and you got to do what you got to do. So I think that's, that's respectable. Um, but just as long as you're not taking advantage of people and you're making sure that like you're honest with yourself, you're honest with the people that you respect and that you're always listening to critique from people that you admire. It's really important. So if you're like doing a class and it's not, you know, you're not teaching it correctly or whatever, and you get some feedback, like don't take that the wrong way. Look at it as an opportunity to learn and try to roll that in. Sure. Uh what classes do you teach actually like you're apparently you're teaching but uh, what are the classes that you are teaching and secondly do you have any plans to teach anywhere on uh, in Europe and the last one is like how somebody can uh, book you or get you like to make something like a workshop with you okay um, so I teach in grocery script obviously um, kind of around the U.S., just as things fit. I haven't been booking workshops a lot this year because I'm really working on a book that I'm writing. Okay. Um, I've got a couple planned, kind of like loosely planned for later in the year. I want to do one in San Francisco. I'm trying to do one in Chicago. Um, I'm trying to get back to New York. I really love New York. There's so much. The East Coast is amazing. For the, for the type of script that I'm interested in, like Boston, New York, that's where it's at. You can hunt down really cool things. Um, so I'm doing that. I'm actually teaching a small kind of like taster class of, uh, well, I don't have a piece sitting nearby, um, of French round hand, um, which is what the Americans called uh, ronde. Um, and that I'll be doing later this month, but that's going to be like my first exploration into teaching that script style. Uh, most of my energy and effort is in my online course right now. Um, so... Uh, that you guys can find out if you want to find out about that. That's at uh, dreaminginscript.com. Um, we have right under like it's like 290 people in the course right now that are like going through and um, a small percentage of that are people like that haven't started yet. So if you were to join now, then there are people presumably that could be right along there with you. But um, the online course has been really fascinating because I started it last February before I went to uh, before I went to Hong Kong 
and we filmed the whole thing and I had like a pretty solid idea of where the curriculum would go because I had done those classes with the individuals that I had um, once a week for 12 weeks. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do an online course version of this. Um, so I had a videographer come down and we filmed and um, kind of went through like all the process of like, what do the lessons look like? How do the videos get edited? All that kind of stuff. And dude, an online course is like the most work you can possibly imagine. It's insane. I mean, even having 20 people in like a, in a email, you know, critique class is crazy, but we've got like a private subreddit. We've got like, I've got dozens of people that email me their homework almost every day. Um, I've got people, you know, hitting, talking about on Instagram, they need help on Instagram, like just kind of running around trying to help everyone as, as much as, as I can. How much um, is the course itself? It's 300 uh, US dollars right now. And it la It was supposed to last 12 weeks. Right now we're going on, it's lasted about six months because it's been hard for some people to keep up with it, including myself. Um, there's just a lot more work than I imagined there was. But when it's all said and done, it's 12 sections. So that's probably, I'm gonna have to reword it a little bit and not be not say, oh, it's 12 weeks. Cause it's really just, it's 12 sections. Do it as at your own pace. Um, and I have plans to kind of expand that and do some stuff afterwards. Like it really goes through, introduces you to the pen, introduces you to the materials, um, walks through the fundamental uh, strokes of engrosser script, goes through how to join those strokes together. Uh, I have a mathematical model that I designed for how to analyze spacing, um, uh, linear sp lateral spacing. Um, that's kind of like that's my contribution. Uh, that's like what I've really changed about the way that it was taught. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. And then it goes through the majuscule or minuscules, majuscules, word writing. And then now we're at this point where we're doing like projects. So it's kind of cool. The projects are interesting. Like the people um, in the class, they'll get a prompt. And some of the projects are like, well, here's an example. This is one that we did for the class. Nice. Um, and so they'll get a prompt and it's like role play. So it'll be like, okay, well, you just got a new studio. The year is like 1905. You're in Pittsburgh and you need to design something for the engraver to cut so we can put it on your door. And so your project is to make your nameplate, which goes on your door at your new studio where you're a penman. Um, and so like that kind of stuff has been really fun. And I think people enjoy that. And I'm hoping to do a lot more of that. I'm not sure But this online long... class, it, uh, it, is it limited? Like for limited time or people can sign up anytime? Hmm. Sign up whenever you'll have it for, as I've been telling everyone, you'll have it for at least three years. Um, after that, I might take it down and do something different. But if I don't do something different, I won't take it down. I would only take it down if I like put something else well, better. I'll, I'll start the class some point this year. Ah, cool. Like, awesome. That's nice. Like, <laughs> I'm really interested now. Like, did you share how it goes? Sounds Sweet. cool. Yeah. Um, as far as Europe, I am, I'm, so Cecilia, um, Oh man, I've never pronounced her last name. Uh, I'm gonna say Bosch. Uh, she is, I believe she's from Rome. Um, her and I were talking last year about me coming and doing some classes in Rome and then in Milan. And then we were trying to get a spot in Barcelona. Um, but I guess there were some issues with the host. Um, and then London. And then London. Um, I would love to do that. I would love to see as much of Europe as possible before I'm too old. I've got so many gray hairs this year. I'm so stressed from this online course. Like I feel myself getting How old are you older this? as time goes by. 
I'm only 27. Oh, come on, dude. Like, you're yeah, young. I'm 27. You have a lot of time. You're young. <laughs> <sighs> Tell me about it. Well, <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm hoping that that, you know, that something can happen with that. But it's been kind of hard for me to um, to get the uh, to get the perfect time to commit to it. And then they've got, you know, they've got people booked and stuff. So if that happens, great. If anyone else is out there is listening to this and they want me to come to wherever I'm down. I talked to someone about going to Turkey for a little bit. I would be super interested in anywhere in the middle East, anywhere um, in Germany would be great. Uh, Sweden would be awesome. Anywhere. It's all good. Okay. I have some ideas. Then we'll speak after uh, after the podcast. That that that'd be cool. That'd cool. Be cool. Like, uh, uh, do you have you ever followed any books? Of course, you start with some uh, earlier. You, you mentioned with some how I said manuscripts, but like, do you have like some books that helped you a lot? And if you have, like, what are your favorites that you recommend to other people? Sure. Um, so I actually didn't start with the manuscripts. The manuscripts were something that were introduced to me, and I did not take them seriously until a couple of years ago, and then I started actually looking at them. Um, the Americans made a lot of different books. Uh, the Americans were obsessed with, um, not copy books necessarily in the same way that the English were, but they have um, some really great books from the early, early 20th century. And the Zanerian Manual is probably the one that people would expect me to talk about, so I'll talk about that first. Um, so Zaner Blozer has a book called the Zanerian Manual, which was originally published in 1895 as the New Zanerian Alphabets. Um, and then in 1918, they renamed the book the Zanerian Manual. And that was, um, for anyone who's familiar with the history of American penmanship, they would probably know that 1918 is the year that Charles Zaner died. And then uh, Earl Luffer took over the uh took over the book and he kind of took the um the byline for the book so it's the zanerian manual by earl lupfer rather than new zanerian alphabets by zaner um but the important thing there is that the zanerian manual has really really great educational plates for engrosser script like anyone who you know wants to take my course great my, my you know my course talks a lot about engrosser script but like i learned from the zanerian manual so Maybe I'm shooting, maybe this is a bad business decision to tell people they don't need to take my course. But like, really, if you're hardworking and you can study and you can, you know, you can look critically and stuff, the Zanerian Manual has everything you need to be a world-class expert penman. Like you could absolutely pick up and gross a script from there and really nice text lettering, really nice engrossing chops, you know, watercolor, that kind of stuff. So um, that book was under copyright and then it was, it's so influential. It's so important for American penmanship, the style that I'm interested in, that I contacted the company, Zaner Blozer, and I basically like begged them. I was like, please let me scan it and give it away like for free. I don't want to make any money on it. I just want to give away for free. And first they said no. And then I came back again and I was like, please let me do it. And they finally said, yeah. And I'll never forget. I was, um, I was in Arizona. I was visiting my family. We were all in the car and I got the call from, um, the president, uh, of the company and she was like hey we looked at it go ahead we're fine with it and i was like yeah <laughs> and everyone was in the car it was like cheering it was funny it's like because i had been complaining about it for so long that like i really wanted to do it but i didn't want to you know get sued yeah. for doing it first of all anyway so i put that book up and that is like uh one of my my very influential mentors uh dr joe vitolo he has always talked about like 
contributions and like what you can do for the art and what you can leave behind you. And I think that's probably going to be one of my most significant contributions is like making that book available. Uh, in the first year, it was downloaded 44,000 times. Um, it's a big file. It's like a 700 megabyte file. So I had to like upgrade my website and everything so that people could, you know, keep downloading it. Um, but that book is amazing. There's a ton of good stuff in there. As far as like other books that are, um, that, I mean, there are more Zanarian publications as well. Like I mentioned, the New Zanarian Alphabets, uh, Zanarian Script Alphabets is awesome. It has a number of really good samples, but um, those books are a little bit difficult for a beginner because they'll show you like an exemplar, a finished print of an alphabet without all of the plates for like, how do you get there? And I don't mean just like, a ductus exemplar with like the letters and it has the arrows those are helpful but only so helpful like the most helpful books will have fundamental strokes drills like resolution of drills to skill application of skill into project and then like break that back down and go back and here's a new skill and like bake that in on what you already know um, so the copy books for business penmanship are a really good um, example of like how you could write a really nice calligraphy book you don't want to just present, you know, A to Z um, and say, well, here's how you do an A. Here's how you do a B. Here's a, you want to say, okay, so like letters have similarities. They are all based off of the same shapes. The shapes are this. Learn about the shape. Okay, now learn about the strokes of the shape. Now apply that to the letters. Now apply that to the second letters. Oh, it's a little bit different. Let's go back to the shape and like keep this back and forth. That's how people get it in their brain. And that's where people start to say like, oh, I understand the script. You know, you're not just uh Sorry about that. You're not just um, copying. You know, you're not like a, you're not a glorified printer. You know, you understand. You can speak the language. That's why um, I don't know if those circles up behind you are Sacha, um, but people in the uh, calligraphy community, um, they have such a an intimate touch because they understand the tool and the strokes and stuff like that. Like look at uh, Pokras, right? His calligraphuturism. That's that's not someone that like knows an alphabet. He speaks that language, right? It like flows out of him. He doesn't look at something and go like, oh, I wonder what the best way to do that is. It's like, it's natural to him. Oh, let's do it like that. And then that kind of stuff, you can do that with any script. You just have to understand the script. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things that's really held me, um, helped me a lot and held me back is uh, as a beginner, you might have a tendency to go, oh, I want to learn everything. I want to learn Spencerian. I want to learn ornamental penmanship. I want to learn Unschul. I want to learn um, Fracture, Texture Quadrata, like whatever. But it takes so long to learn a language and it takes a very long time to learn a calligraphic script as a language. So you have to appreciate that. I mean, even with engrosser script, I think I'm best at engrosser script. I would say I am occasionally um, proficient with engrosser script and nowhere near where I would love to be. There's so much more to learn. And I've been doing it, what, f for four and a half years now. So I don't know how long the journey is. Maybe 10 years, maybe 15 years. Maybe I'll never be happy. Dude, but, no um, matter what script you do, I love your work. Like, uh, it's, it's, funny <laughs> that you, it's funny that you think this way, but it's at the same time it's cool to be humble but like no matter what script or hand do you use i, I i'm always fascinated by your work so you're good at everything uh, i appreciate it man yeah i think also it's like you know when you the more you know the more you know you don't know that yeah. thing yeah yeah and i think as long as you're aware of that 
and you can be like, oh no, this is like pretty good. I always, I always talk about my script in like X out of 10. I'll be like, oh, this is like a five out of 10. So it's like half as good as I would like it to be. Um, on a normal day, I would say I write like a six or a seven out of 10. Very few times in my life have I ever done anything at a 10 and it was always for like a very short amount of time and then it promptly fell down to a six or a five or whatever because I got too excited. Um, but the, the truth of the matter is that most people can't see above like a three or a four out of 10. Like most people, like common non-calligraphers, they see any calligraphy and they're like, that's amazing, it's beautiful. So really once you get to a certain point, you're trying to satisfy yourself and you're trying to satisfy your calligrapher friends you know, that's fun and all, but it's got to be a personal journey. You can't like, the the point of being an expert isn't really to make the general population understand you're an expert. It's for you and it's for the people that you respect. Because everyone else just thinks you're amazing already, right? I mean, show anyone from your life any calligraphy and they're like, that's sweet. How'd you do that? Like people don't even understand that a, a pointed pen, you know, that it can bend that you can bend the nib apart. Like that's, that's blows people's minds. So, and we're like, oh yeah, this, yeah, it does that, but also does all this other things. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It's funny way. I, I, I like how you, how you see things. Like, uh, <laughs> thanks man. <laughs> you mentioned you're working on a book. Can you say a little bit more about it? Like what's this kind of book and when will it be probably available for people to get it? So the book is really, Originally, the book was titled Dreaming and Script, and the book occurred way before the online course was even a thought in my head. Um, I wrote the book, most of the book, it's about 100 pages. Um, I wrote it back in 2016, um, and I was really hoping to do something that was what I thought um, kind of more original with like presenting the script. So it's all about engrossed script, um, and it kind of talks about like not just here's the tools and here's the method and here's the system. Um, like there's uh, every penman that teaches has their own system for teaching, whatever, you know, whatever hand it is. You have your system for Unchil, your system for uh, Quadrata or whatever. Um, and so my system was something that I was building when I wrote the book, but I wasn't done with it. And so a lot of the book has been like, a lot of the last year has been going back through the book and pulling things out and saying, oh, okay, I don't actually think that anymore, or I think that, but I didn't explain it well enough and all that. So that's part of the book. Part of the book is like technical. It teaches you about engrossed script. The second part of the book is about this tiny little blip. Um, I believe it's Sheila Waters' book that talks, of Foundations in Calligraphy, that talks about calligraphic depression and how people, as they get into calligraphy, realize, one, that it's very, very lonely right? You're like working by yourself all the time. I mean, unless you work in a studio or a scriptorium or whatever. Um, and then two, that it's like this, I love calligraphy, but it's like this disease that gets into you where you are constantly looking at something that you're trying to obtain and looking at how you can't do it. And then you're trying to get better. And then as you get better, you realize that, oh, you were getting better at the wrong thing. You need to be focused on this thing. So there's this constant feeling of like not enoughness or um, dissatisfaction. And that was really hard for me because I didn't have a mentor to like thump me in the head and be like, stop being so hard on yourself. Just go get better or go keep practicing. So for a long time, um, I felt kind of like a fraud 
or I felt like um, like that I could demonstrate, but I didn't understand, or that I understood, but I couldn't demonstrate. There's always like this discord between uh, what I know, what I can do, what I can do, and what I don't understand, and all these things. And so, um, the book, the other half of the book that's not technical is all about like how does a young man in his early twenties at the time, or mid twenties, I suppose, uh, go about learning an art form that is obsolete by commercial standards. Like it's not going to make me rich. It's not going to make me, you know, I'm not going to be a Justin Bieber or, uh, <laughs> or, uh, you know, whoever, like, I don't know who was a successful pop, you know, sensation would be. Um, but then how do you build a life around that? How do you build a life, something around something that's inher- inherently commercially non-viable and balance the effects that it has on your personal self, on your relationships with other people, on your relationships with your professional community. Like it was a whole process. I think, you know, becoming a penman and becoming a professional calligrapher, if I, um, if I would call myself that is not just about learning to write calligraphy. It's about a lot of different things about understanding the things that you have to give up, understanding the things that you're going to value, um, that other people aren't going to understand you know, uh, deciding where the breaking point is when a client asks you to do something that you disagree with um, on an artistic level and like, how are you? And maybe that's something that all artists wrestle with, but I thought that that was really interesting because I hadn't seen so much of that in a book and I wanted to articulate it in a way that was kind of anecdotal. Like it's all built around little stories uh, that I experienced and hopefully like people can resonate with that as they're going through learning about a grocery script. So that leads me long-windedly to uh, when will it be available? I have literally no idea. I would love to have it published by the end of this year. Um, I have a couple different publishers in mind that I've been talking to. I definitely don't want to self-publish. Um, and then I, the biggest thing is going to be finishing up the actual, um, the actual script and sending that off to an editor and getting some real feedback from a professional about like, does this work as a book? Um, you know, do I need to move big sections around and stuff like that? So if any publishers are listening to this and you guys want to hit me up and we can talk about um, the book, that'd be great. I'd be happy to send a copy over for you to take a look at. Cool. Like uh, how, how, how many times, how much, how much time were you spending in the beginning on practicing and uh, how important was it and is it to you and how much practice do you do our days? Um, well, to be consistent with what I've said in the past, when I first started, I was only doing calligraphy in the weekends and the evenings because I had to work. I mean, I worked from home. I worked for myself, but I still had to work during the day. Um, and so I was fitting in probably two or three hours, um, a night and then like four or five hours on a Saturday and a Sunday. And I was, you know, I was just doing like I don't, I don't know, I keep looking around like I have these things on my desk right now, I don't. But, um, you know, the stuff was not, it's not very good. Like, I don't mean by like my standards now, but just like I wasn't, and it wasn't inspired, it wasn't really creative. I was just kind of like doodling and trying to put stuff together. Um, so a lot of that was aimless practice. And I would say as far as like how important is practice, that one hour of very focused practice is worth three hours of doodling. Um, and I even like, if you're not having a great day or your pen is messing you up or it's too hot and your fingers are sticky or whatever, like one hour of reading is better than 
one hour of bad practice even. So like reading is important um, and not like looking at the pictures in a book, um, but like actually digging in, researching, trying to figure out like what's going on here, reading um, abstract statements from artists, that kind of stuff. As far as in gross script, um, I spent about six hours a day um, for about a year when I finally decided I was going to be like a calligrapher. I just started getting up. I got up really early because I was convinced that, that if you wanted to be successful, you had to get up really early. Um, and I had a friend who used to joke that it was like I was trying to be like a monk. So I'd get up really early and practice in the, before the sun came up. Um, and I spent a lot of time practicing, but I did not make much improvement. I got to tell you, man, like that, <laughs> when you're condensing all of your practice into these big chunks of time and they're all close together, you have no time to learn. It's like if you go to the gym every day and you lift as heavy as you possibly can, you're like, boom, 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 boom. Your muscles can't heal. Your brain is, you know, your creative muscle, it has to heal. So then like a couple years after, I started giving myself more breathing room. I practice, okay, put it, put it down, go think about it, um, talk to some people about it, come back and like, what do you know? It's a little bit better. And when you have more time in between your practice sessions, like if you have really good practice sessions with time in between them, um, you'll find that your growth is more measurable rather than hitting it every single day. Because think about this, if you, I don't know if you have a pet, I got a cat this year, so I'm going to use the cat as an analogy. But I saw that cat from being this big, she's like, meow, you know, to being this big. And I saw her every single day. So she was never like, holy crap, that's a cat. It was always just like, the kitten's a little bit bigger every single day. And I couldn't appreciate that she was no longer a kitten until one day I looked at her and I was like, that's a whole cat. That's not a kitten anymore. <laughs> It's the same thing with calligraphy, right? So you're like, you're doing it and you're getting, maybe you're getting a little bit better, but you're looking at it every day. You can't appreciate that it's gotten better or grown. And if you can't see the way you're growing, the biggest thing is you can't see what your strengths are. I think the, one, of the, one of the most fundamental problems with most people that are getting into calligraphy right now is that we all, and I'm going to totally include myself in this, we all copy each other. When Spencerian blew up and everyone was like, I'm going to learn Spencerian a couple years ago, everyone was trying to learn Spencerian. And there are people that, you know, learned it very well. And there are people that like just, it wasn't for them. And I think the biggest thing is like, if you listen to what your strengths are based off of what comes to you when you grow and when you get better, like we would see calligraphers going in different directions and that would be awesome for the community, right? We'd see people like, oh, this so-and-so is learning like a crazy Icelandic script now. And like, they are the only person in the world that's doing that, but good because now that's preserved and it's being brought forward into the 21st century. I would love to see more people like emphasizing their own individual strengths. And I really try to do that in my work now. Like I try when I have an inclination to see the community going towards something. I love Edgar. Um, I love his stuff. I saw him do the um, the post that he did with the Emerald of Chivor ink that changes color. And I, and I went out and bought it right then. I was like, I'm going to get me some of that. I'm going to see what that's all about. And I got it. And I was like, I can't. I don't want to use this. That's Edgar's thing. I'm not going to like follow into his space. Like let him do it. He's doing it well. You know, what's my thing? How can I play on my strengths? I think that's really important. But still you really can really do fun. stuff with, with the ink. Like when Edgar showed this yeah. ink, now I'm waiting my own because I'm waiting for it to, to receive it. And I just uh, spoke with the uh, gold spot pens and now we will also give some away via, via calligraphy masters. Nice. 
So there you go. There you go. Like, cool. It's cool stuff. I really like it. it um, it's a little bit tricky to get if anyone's going to pick it up for calligraphy, like dip pen stuff. It's a little bit tricky to get out of your dip pen. Yeah. And the way in the one that Edgar has, the video that he has where it changes color very vividly, it changes color most when the ink is pooled thicker on the paper. So if you're like dip pens, you don't really want a ton of ink pooled. You want a good even coverage um it might not change as radically it will look kind of like iridescent but it's cool stuff it's awesome i props to him i don't know if, if you've seen the review because like he has some videos with it but uh, he also made a review for for our channel and uh, he oh, cool. he says that the, there is a trick like with with this ink like you have to shake it really well and at the same time not really hard because you know bubbles pop up but like just hard. shake it uh, give it a good shake and once you do this there is more color uh, popping and the gold uh, stuff is popping up because otherwise it sits, so, it, it sits on the bottoms you know so the first thing i did when i got it was i decanted it into a smaller bottle and i did not shake it before i poured it out so i bet you all the color is in the glass bottle and i just have Okay, well now I learned. See, I didn't know that, and now I learned something. So you, you maybe you guys will there. see a post from me soon. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be cool. And because I'm still waiting for mine, like uh, when uh, we put up the video about the video review about it, my other teammate, such in such inspiration, he told mm -hmm. me like for some, it's called Krishna Ink, and he said it's oh, it's similar to this, and it's it's very good very well and a lot of shimmering as well so cool. they sent me some stuff of it and i got this christening and it's similar to it i'm still waiting for my <laughs> jay herblin but from what i've cool. seen it's similar but still it, it gives a really cool like effects and uh, it's a cool effect yeah and uh, and this, i was trying this to one think is of like is there actually. a way i was trying to think of like is there a way to use it other than just like um in you know in the lettering like can you draw with it i was thinking that would be i would love to see like a really nice like illustration cross hatching and stippling done with it oh that'd be cool man i'm not talented enough to do that but for the jake weidman's out there <coughs> you guys could you guys could totally throw it down with some of that that'd be sweet for the jake weidman this, this funny. <laughs> <laughs> i'm actually gonna speak with him soon so there's gonna be a podcast with him as well Awesome. Very cool. And speaking of him, like, can you give me some names, like uh, your favorite calligraphers or artists or people that influenced you a lot? And I don't know. Sure. Some inspiring yeah. um, stuff. Obviously, I would be remiss not to say Joe Vitolo. Um, Joe was really helpful for me in the early days. I had a couple phone conversations with him where... He was like, I would say something that I had felt, and he'd be like, yep, yep, that's how it is. You're right on the money. And that always made me feel like, okay, I'm like going in the right direction. Like he was kind of, you know, like the wise, he's the old guard kind of like ushering me into, into his world. Because Joe, you know, Joe's been doing this stuff since the 90s when I was still in middle school. Um, <laughs> so that, you know, that was cool. Um, I would say... Uh, I have a friend uh, named Andrew, um, and he's from England, and he's very influential, but he's very private. He doesn't post a lot on Instagram or anything like that. Um, but that type of relationship, like the really, you know, personal, like it doesn't have to be like a with someone. I don't, I don't necessarily need the person that I am inspired by to have done amazing work. I need them to like really, like 
think about the script and be very like knowledgeable or, or very critical or, or something. Um, so Andrew's one that pops out. Nina Tran is obviously um, another another one. Nina and I have had a number of cool things we've done together from like we've taken each other's classes. Uh, I've gone to her calligrapher in Los Angeles a couple times. We did um, uh, a thing she was doing uh, called hand-lettered ABCs together a couple years ago. Um, Michael Gebhardt is uh, soon, I have put him on the spot here, but he's going to be my business writing and ornamental teacher this year. So I'm studying with him. I, I don't know exactly where we're going to get started on that, but I'm going to be like, he's going to be helping me along that. And in turn, I'm going to be teaching him shaded writing. I'm going to teach him in grocery script, but we're going to do that on a, like a one-to-one basis. So I'm pretty excited about that. You guys can actually, Michael's awesome. You guys can check out his website. It's uh, penmanship.com and he's doing some really great research work. Um, we're actually starting a podcast together soon. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, which we'll be really excited about. That's basically just like is really nerdy stuff about American penmanship, but it's called um, Ink Tank, like Think Tank, but Ink Tank. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, and so it's going to be inktankpodcast.com. Um, we're hoping to get the first episode out in the next month or so. Um, and then uh, Marcus Carlini from Berkeley. Um, he does really, really great uh, business penmanship and practical writing. I've always admired his stuff. And every time I've gone down and seen him in California, um, we'll just be hanging out. And he'll be like, you want to do some writing? Sure, we'll do some writing. And the stuff that he can just bust out, like fast too, like, you know, in the true old style, boom, 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 boom. It's amazing. It's like mechanical and just gorgeous. Uh, Brian Chaboya from Los Angeles. Um, Richie Wei from, oh, I think which Richie's from Beijing. Um, Richie's actually really fascinating. He came to IMPEF last year and then I hosted him in Portland for a week as like an artist residency. I'm trying to do that more this year. If any of you guys are like super interested in, in your penmanship stuff and you want to come to Portland, um, I'm more than happy to host you guys and we can hang out and write in the studio for a week. Let me know. Uh, send me some of your stuff and we can check it out and see if it'd be worth it. Because I, I love the concept of like bringing people from other countries and like having them here and we just do some work together for over the course of a couple of days and talk and share share ideas and I show you guys Portland and take you good food and stuff. Um, <laughs> That's cool. That's uh, what cool. Else? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Richie. Uh, Chevelli Tsui from New York. I think I pronounced, if I pronounced that right, Chevelli, you should be impressed. Uh, it's T-S-U-I. Um, and she is amazing. She's a fascinating person to me because she actually went through the Cooper program, um, which was one of the, when I first got started, was one of like the things that I was like, oh, I'm going to do that someday. Well, I found out it's very expensive, so I probably won't <laughs> be doing it on my calligrapher salary now that I've got started. But um, it's still very, very cool to, to know people that have gone through that. Um yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is like when I look at the people that I'm inspired by, I have friends that like all these people that I'm mentioning, they're all friends, right? So like if I if I admire someone, it's most often because I thought their work was really good and then I you know, I talked to them or they talked to me and then we formed a friendship. Um, there are people like Jake Weidman and I, I um, you know, I love his work um, and I, I his oh god his, his his like big engrossing pieces are insane they're like i uh, i won't even bother comparing them to someone historically because they're so uniquely his but like um 
if I don't know, you know, I don't know Jake as well as I know these other people. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is like when I'm inspired by someone, it's because I know them. It doesn't really have as much to do with like their skill or anything like that. And those people really push me. Um, I think like Michael Gebhardt, for an example, is like pretty honest with me. Andrew is really honest with me. So if like I do something that's like, eh, you know, it's like not as good as I could do or they think something, they'll never be like, oh, well, it's so great. They'll tell me and we'll be straight with each other. So that like kind of plain speaking is really nice to have. And I think everyone should try to find people like that who will give it to you straight. <laughs> What's the best tip or advice you ever received from anyone, I don't know, that helped you most in calligraphy? Oh, man. Hmm... There's all these things that came into my head, but they're not like advice that applies to everyone. Uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't need to apply to everyone. It's like what okay, okay. Uh, that that helped you mostly and that influenced you a lot. Sure, sure. I'll say I'll tell a story about um, about Joe, I suppose, about Mr. Votolo. Um, a couple of years ago, I had gone and gotten a piece framed. Actually, this piece right here behind me. I just got this piece framed, and I called Joe, tell him about the framing because um, I'm pretty excited about it. And we were just chatting on the phone and, you know, he's asking how things were going. I was a professional calligrapher now. <laughs> I feel like I always got to put air quotes up. <laughs> professional calligrapher now. Um, you know, I was like, that was how I was making my living. That's how I was paying my rent and putting food on the table. Um, and I was talking about how like, oh, you know, I feel like this year is really the year. I'm going to make like make some good progress. I'm going to teach some more classes. I'm going to do the, just kind of tell him about all my plans and stuff. And he was asking how it was all going. And I was saying, you know, it's going pretty good. It could be going better, to be honest. But, you know, it's, you, you know, starting a business is difficult. So um, it is what it is. And Joe said, um, you know, David, you're young enough that you could still go back to school and get like a degree in something else. Um, like get a degree in, I, I would assume like Joe's has multiple doctorates. He's like a molecular biochemist and he's a dentist. So he's a dual doctor. So I, maybe he meant like be a doctor or something, a professional degree of some kind. And he was saying, you know, like he, his advice was give yourself a time limit. And this is a weird story to try. I'm going to try to spin the story so it's inspiring and not that maybe where people will take it. But when he said that to me, what he was saying was, you know, try as hard as you can Try to be a calligrapher. If that's what you're passionate about, pursue that, and and you put yourself into it. And um, you know, don't don't take things for granted. You know, count your blessings. Um, make connections with people that last. That kind of thing. But at the same time, like if it's not happening, don't find yourself ten years from now still struggling to be a calligrapher. You know, like if you can establish yourself, great. But if you can't, you're still young enough that you can go back to school. And be something else. I could be a doctor and be a calligrapher in the evenings, the weekends, which is kind of what Joe's done with his life. You know, he um, he's a dentist. He had his own practice. He sold his own practice. He works um, in Georgia now. He's the head of his program. He's a very very successful guy. He doesn't get to do as much calligraphy as I would probably want to do in my life. But by his standards, you know, like he's he's happy from what I could tell. And so that I took that and I went, oh man. Give yourself a time limit. Like, what does that even mean? Like, two years? If in two years I'm not wildly more successful, should I quit? Should I not be a calligrapher? Um, and I don't think that that's what he was saying. I think what he was saying was have realistic expectations and set realistic goals. 
And I, and I only came to that after a while of reflecting on this like impending clock counting down until the day when I had to say, okay, I can't be a clicker anymore. I have to go get a day job. And it was about a year after that, that um, Instagram, um, Hannah from Instagram messaged me and she said, or she sent, not messaged me, she sent me an email. And I actually went into my spam folder and I woke up and I never checked my spam folder. And I checked my spam and there was a, it was like, hey, it's Hannah from Instagram. And I was like, yeah, right. And I almost deleted it. <laughs> I was just like, eh, delete. Um, and then I don't know what happened, but I was like, I'm going to check it out. So I opened it up, which I also never do. I never open spam messages because I get so many of them. And um, and it was Hannah from Instagram. She's like, hey, you know, uh, it's going to be International Ampersand Day in a couple weeks or a month or something. We would love to know if you would make a video for us to post on the Instagram account. And I was like, whoa, like, would I? I'd be honored. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were like, yeah, if you could write like an essay about um, about the ampersand or, you, you know, you could put it together. And I was like, yeah, I can. So I go and I like get all these books and I did this whole research paper, like probably like three or 4,000 words on the ampersand, the evolution of like the Tyronean et and all this stuff and all the, um, like, you know, the, the graffiti in Pompeii and like how the ampersand showed up where it is now. And they didn't use any of it. <laughs> they, would, they just posted my video and didn't use the essay, but whatever, I'm not complaining. Um, and that happened and I remember, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe this is indicative of, uh, my upbringing, but like, I've kind of always wanted my dad's, um, recognition. I think maybe, maybe a lot of young men do like, you know, I grew up, I had a dad that was pretty hardworking and I worked with him. We built houses together and I was always like, like if I was to be called lazy, that would be like one of the worst things that my dad could think about me was that I wasn't hardworking. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, when I became a calligrapher, you know, to go from being like a construction worker, a carpenter to being like a calligrapher, it's kind of like, you know, it's not as like manly, traditionally manly or whatever. And I remember when I, when that happened and Instagram featured me and my account blew up for the first time, you know, I went for, I gained like 80,000 followers in a, in a couple hours, something like that. Um, I, he didn't say anything that time, but I remember my dad like looking at me like, oh, this is like a real thing. And like my son's actually going to do it and he's actually going to be pretty good at it. And that to me felt like this is what Joe was talking about. Give yourself a time limit. Like the clock stopped there. Like that happened and I was, and, and that's dangerous because what I'm talking about is like this state of arrival, right? You're like, oh, I've made it. You have not, you've never made it. <laughs> you've never made it. You always had to keep going. But I definitely felt like that was a validation for like, okay, so at that point, um, you know, more people had seen my name than would ever have seen my name altogether for the entire previous portion of my life. Like on that single day, more people heard the name David Grimes than everyone added together since I was born. That's crazy to me. Something like 20 million people or something like that. And... Um, and not necessarily talking about like the fame aspect of it or anything like that because I don't necessarily think Instagram fame is a real thing. Like people will forget about you as soon as they hit follow pretty much. But um, it was like that potential. Like, okay, if calligraphy can be interesting enough for a company like Instagram to want to show it to people, then I think that calligraphy is going somewhere. And then, of course, you know, there's people, there's calligraphy masters, there's um, good type, there's these huge accounts that, like, 
millions and millions of people are coming in from all over the world and following. Um, and it's because calligraphy is, there's something to it. It's not like we're all just, you know, old people like codgering along, holding on to the good old days of when handwriting was more important. You know, it's like there's something, there is a purpose for calligraphy in the 21st century. I think we're still figuring it out. Um, and maybe it is uh, very tied to like, uh, you know, the synesthetic aspect of like, it's oddly satisfying, ASMR, um, it's, uh, in, you know, it's engrossing, it like pulls you in, it's, uh, it's great for showing off products, it's great for like message marketing, you know, what, it, what you actually write, people pay attention to the words more, that kind of stuff. There's tons of potential that was not a thing, you know, when calligraphy was being used to make books because they didn't have a printing press, yeah. so it's interesting to me. So this took away my next question because I was gonna ask about social media, but like your explanation pretty much pretty much said it. Uh, okay. But do you have any? Well, like actually, rather than uh, other than that, like that the Instagram, like uh, what what else helped you like uh, keep going with the account? Because you're pretty pretty well for a, like a calligrapher on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are, the thing is, like, when... I've noticed actually something, and uh, we spoke about it with Edgar, is like, you you always write those stories, you know, like, uh, mm -hmm. and I think this helps a lot of engaging people, I don't know, like... Yeah, yeah, there are certainly, like, you know, things you can do on Instagram to get your account to be um, more liked. I think the biggest thing for me with Instagram has been, how do I share work and make work that people will like while simultaneously not making that my biggest goal. You know, like if I, if I was to wake up every day and try to post on Instagram every day, then I would spend every day putting together a post, you know, like it, for me, it takes a long time because I'm very particular about like setting up the lighting and I work out the design and then I shoot the video and then I edit it and I get the right music and I write that long, long caption. Maybe people read it or they don't. Um, but uh, I, I really, I think that when I do share, like when I do post, I try to make it because it's that I actually have something to say. And I occasionally will post because I'm like, I haven't posted in a long time. Um, I should post something. But I, I sometimes worry that like if I do that too much, if I like just show up just to be there or whatever, that um, I'll lose a little bit of like why I was doing it in the first place. So I would say that's the that's the first thing um, is like to be. Oh, it sounds so corny. Be genuine, you know, with your sharing, but like more more so, just people that like to talk to hear their own voice, um, which I probably could be described as that by some people. Um, they tend to not have a lot to say, and so I think I try have been trying this last year to be more thoughtful about what I'm saying. And then when I don't have something to say, just shut up, which is kind of why my account has like, dude, you know, I don't, you know, I, I'm not growing as much as I was, or I'm not um, posting as often as because I'm not as interested in being like the most popular calligrapher on Instagram or anything like that. I'm interested in when people come to my account or they go to my website or they talk to me in person, I want them to be like, Oh, David knows what he sees knowledgeable. I want them to think that I'm a nice guy. I want them to think that like I understand um, or I can empathize with like what they're maybe going through with their own cal calligraphy journey. And like, you know, drawing um, 
Seb Lester is a great example. I'm not picking on Seb Lester, but like drawing famous companies' logos, that's not going to like scratch my artistic itch, you know? it's. I'm sure it would be like if I did the Instagram logo and I did it in calligraphy and it was like all cool and maybe we did it with this Emerald Chivore ink and it's all iridescent, you know, maybe that would get a million plays or whatever. But is that what I want to be known for? I don't know. So... I would say that, and then the other the other predisposition or the other uh, misconception is like, it's really all about engagement, right? It's not about your follower count; it's about your engagement. So, you know, I have like over two hundred thousand followers. I engage at like two to three percent on a great post, maybe four or five percent. My highest post ever has like twenty thousand likes and like two million plays, and that was like a freak accident because like everyone featured that post and it was like just really popular. So, you know, I would trade 150,000 followers for another 3% engagement. I really would. Like if I could engage, you know, and so that, well, that wouldn't really work because if lower, but you get what I'm saying. Like if I could lose 150,000 followers and have the people that did follow really care about what I did after 10,000 people, like it's crazy. Like 150,000 people, if everyone like stood out and put their hands out side to side, held arms with each other, think of how far that would stretch. You could go on a road trip across certain parts of the United States or across a lot of Europe. I don't know. Maybe I'm exaggerating that number. No, but that's pretty. It's cool. a long, it's a long distance, and it, and at some point it doesn't matter. They're just more numbers. Um, so engagement is really important, and you're gonna get that by being genuine, talking about stories that are personal to you. Um, sharing interesting stuff rather than just like sharing to share. I think at some point I was sharing my practice work and then now I treat Instagram more as like, I'm going to demonstrate like an idea or I'm going to share a shape or, you know, something like that rather than here's a thing that I work, watch me like try it multiple times. If, if you think about accounts that have, um, oh, I didn't talk about them earlier, but if you think accounts that do the practice thing really well, uh, rate G, uh, I would mispronounce his name, but it's like Granulin. Um, he has a really interesting way of presenting practice as a fascinating performance. What's, what's this really account? Cool. Uh, Rate G Penmanship. I think it's, yeah. R-A-I-T uh, underscore G. Oh, it's, yeah. R-A-I-T-G underscore Penmanship. Um, he's, he's an amazing penman and he, um, does a lot of drills, right? So he's like sharing primarily practice work, but he's probably one of my favorite, um, practical penmen. Nice. I'll check it out. Yeah. Cool. And can you tell me like, what are your favorite tools in specs of like, uh, pens or pen holders, then, uh, sure, sure. inks and, uh, papers? Um, so I guess we'll start with pens. I made my oblique pen. <laughs> I would recommend if you guys have the, uh, if you guys have the opportunity to make your own pen, do it. I think that's a, f I think that's a fantastic way to like get in touch with your tool. I use this pen for almost everything. I made it like three years ago. It's beat up. It's nothing shiny. It's not like a crazy wood or anything. Um, but I love it and it works perfectly for me. Um, so you have one of these, and then I don't have one within reach. Maybe I do. Uh, this is not the one I normally use, but a straight holder is also very important. 
So you, if you're going to be an American pinman, at least you need an oblique pin for your slanted scripts, and then you need a straight holder for your broad edge and probably your line work if you're going to do like illustration or cross hatching and stuff. Because this is kind of a pain in the butt to use for that kind of stuff. Um, you need a at least one good ruler. This is um, a Westcott brand. I don't know. Can we talk about brands? On sure, here? sure. Why not? Okay. Of course. Cool. Yeah, this is a Westcott B1M. Um, it's their grid ruler. The only gripe I have about this is that it's in um, standard and not metric. If you're going to be a calligrapher, use metric. I, that would be another piece of good advice. It's like just stop measuring things in inches and eighths of an inch. Like the rest of the world doesn't use it. We shouldn't use it either. The good thing about this is that it has a metal edge, which means you can cut with it. You can run your knife along it, which you have to have a knife. If you're going to be a calligrapher, you pretty much are going to have your X-Acto blade on the table with you all the time. And then the other edge of it is beveled, um, which you probably won't be able to see that. Where's the camera? There. So that means you can actually put the bevel down and you can drag your pen along it and the ink won't go underneath, which is pretty useful. Um, as far as inks go, uh, that says MPS. So Moon Palace Sumi is my favorite black. Um, a lot of people don't like Moon Palace because it comes out kind of shiny when it dries. Uh, but if you water it down, the shine goes away. It gives you this really nice black, and then it dilutes really well into like all sorts of different tones and values of gray. Uh, so if you wanted to like watercolor with it or do a wash with it, you can get away with a lot of that kind of stuff. I have one that I did recently that I posted. Um, hold on one second, I'll grab that. This is this is a piece entirely done with that one ink. Yeah, I've seen the post. It's yeah. pretty cool. So that's like, there's no you know. There is no other color. It's just the black and water. Um, so Moon Palace, or Sumi in general, is very good. Um, gouache. And probably a lot of people know me well for my pink and post. And it's, um, what is it a special brand? Because like? I know your uh, It's just... <laughs> yeah. It's uh, Windsor Newton Designer Gouache. Um, for a while, I was using Opera Rose, but there's also a brand or a color called Opera Pink. Um, and then at one point I accidentally bought opera pink and I think I just switched over. So now I use opera pink. <laughs> um, but the, the, the gouache is nice, um, for color, but it's not as hardy as the black ink is or as other inks because it doesn't have binder in it. So you need to add, um, gum Arabic or once you're done and you can erase, seal it with like a top coat. So you can do stuff like that. All of my white I do with, uh, PH Martin's Bleedproof white. Um, a lot of people like Dalarani Pro White. Um, or occasionally, if I'm doing a thing in gouache, I'll use white gouache. But that doesn't, I don't like that as much. Um, so Bleedproof White is awesome. Um, you would need an inkwell, unless you're going to write out of your pile of time. So I make my own inkwells as well. Um, so I made this one. Um, nice. And it's got, yeah, it's empty right now. Um, so I just keep paper towels in it. But um, I think having an inkwell and a, and a pen that sit on your desk together that you're like excited about using. I don't know. It's funny because I like to have like, I have a, a gift by a Turkish, uh, pen maker. Is it? Sorry. My mm -hmm. English is not first. So I'm not American and my English is not perfect. No, you're good. You're good. So he made me a, he makes a lot of uh, amazing oblique pen holders. He's a uh, mm -hmm. Kalem Kas, uh, Ali from Turkey. And, okay. and he sent me this really beautiful pen holder, like oblique pen holder, and an inkwell like yours. And the thing cool. is, I put the I put some walnut ink, and because uh -huh. the top is, you have to like uh, turn it, and it's it's metal. Okay. 
and it's super small and since like i don't mm -hmm. know months i can't i can't open it i, I guess like yeah. something from the ink got oh. dry and it's really oh. beautiful design but like, wait i can show it actually to you is, is it, it wood yeah, yeah get it <laughs> where is it Just a sec. sure, sure. <laughs> now we can see the artwork guys it's awesome look at this that's so cool I don't know where it is but I'll, okay. I'll find it later. I will show you. But sure, yeah, sure. It's, yeah. it's it's a huge bummer because like I re I was like so happy about it. It's so beautiful. But now I like I can't yeah. I can't open it. Hmm. Is the, is the so it screws on? Does. Oh, sweet. Very cool. Oh, but do you see nice. it? Like, is it big? Like yeah, it, yeah. Because usually for me, it change only when I speak. And I, okay, I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's got like a burl, and then behind the burl, it's like a stabilized burl with like a little bit of acrylic. You made me another one and then lately, the metal band. but it's a whole pack with like. Uh, oh man, that's intense! It's got a cool box and everything. He made this super special, like for calligraphy Stamp. masters. Sweet! Holy cow! Yeah, dude, it, I need to start a calligraphy account so that I can get sweet it's gifts. A, it's a, <laughs> it's <laughs> that's a awesome. Kalem Kas, it's K A L. E M K A S Kalam Cast Something like this Ali 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 Wait But yeah and he he made like some time ago some crazy crazy Scorpio oblique holder I've seen I showed it on calligraphy man yeah you should sweet you should definitely check him <laughs> I'll, I'll go check him out yeah for sure and yeah, like uh, it's uh, his name is like Kalem. No, it's K A L E M K E S Kalem Kes Ali K -E -S. Pek Seglar. Yes. Like, uh, cool. cool. And he's, he's from Turkey. Turkey. Yeah, he's from Turkey. Awesome. I'll send uh, you the account on Instagram if you can't cool, find cool. him. Sweet. And yeah, sweet. It was a uh, really nice talking to you, dude. Like. If you want to Thanks, leave a message, uh, any advice, tip, or anything like this for people who are listening, if you want to promote something or just share anything that's going on with you and your life, go on. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything to plug right now, but I would say uh, if you guys are watching this and you're either a beginning calligrapher or you think about getting into calligraphy, um, the, the best thing that you can do is to start. Um, there's no time like today. Uh, what do they say? Uh, tomorrow is too late. So, uh, go get yourself a pen, get yourself an ink. It doesn't have to be the best pen. It doesn't have to be the best ink. Get some paper, start writing. If you don't, can't do that, go get a stick right in the dirt outside. There's, you know, there, you, you can find a way to connect with the art form with whatever's around you and then as you start doing that make some friends and take care of them and listen to them and encourage them they'll do the same for you 
And uh, who knows, maybe you guys will be up here getting interviewed <laughs> and I'll be watching your interview and soon. I mean, I really do believe that there are people out there um, and maybe you guys are one of them that, that we haven't even seen the amount of talent that the world has right now. So if you think you're up for it, you know, start pursuing it and sharing and stuff. And I would love to see what the calligraphers of tomorrow are going to look like, because I think our generation, like our, you know, our decade has done well for it. But there's yeah, there's a lot to be done still. And, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Cool. Cool. That's an awesome yeah. ending, man. All right. Cool. So that's it for today, guys. Thanks to all of you who made it through the whole episode. I hope you found it as interesting and useful as I did. It was very exciting for me talking with David and listening to his story. I find it very fascinating and interesting. Hopefully many of you did as well. If you are willing to watch the videos for the podcast episodes, you can do it on Calligraphy Masters YouTube channel. And you can also show some support by following Calligraphy Masters on Instagram and Facebook. And that's it for this week, guys. I see you next Sunday again when I will be speaking with uh, Jacob Engberg, aka Copenhagen Signs, who is a sign painter and a very good friend of mine. And I hope you enjoy listening to his story as well. Once again, thank you guys. And as always, keep writing.